Chapter 15 of the General History of the Pirates, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine. The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1 by Charles Johnson. Chapter 15 of Captain John Phillips and His Crew. John Phillips was bred a carpenter, and sailing to Newfoundland in a West Country ship, was taken by Anstis in the Good Fortune Brigadine, the next day after he had left his consort and commodore, Captain Roberts. Phillips was soon reconciled to the life of a pirate, and being a brisk fellow, was appointed carpenter of the vessel, for at first his ambition reached no higher. There he remained, till they bloke up at Tobago, and was one of those who came home in a sloop that we have mentioned to be sunk in Bristol Channel. His stay was not long in England, for whilst he was paying his first visits to his friends in Devonshire, he heard of the misfortune of some of his companions, that is, of their being taken and committed to Bristol jail, and there being good reason for his apprehending danger from a wind that blew from the same quarter, he moved off immediately to Topsham, the nearest port, and there shipped himself with one Captain Wadham for a voyage to Newfoundland, and home again, which, by the way, Mr. Phillips never designed to perform, or to see England any more. When the ship came to Peter Harbour, in Newfoundland aforesaid, he ran away from her, and hired himself a splitter in the fishery for the season. But this was only till he could have an opportunity of prosecuting his intended rogueries, in order to which he combined with several others, in the same employ, to go off with one of the vessels that lay in the harbour, upon the piratical account. Accordingly, the time was fixed, viz. the twenty-ninth of August, 1723, at night. But whether remorse or fear prevented their coming together, I know not. But of sixteen men that were in the combination, five only kept the appointment, notwithstanding which, Phillips was for pushing forward with that small number, assuring his companions that they should soon increase their company, and they agreeing, a vessel was seized on, and out of the harbour they sailed. The first thing they had now to do was to choose officers, draw up articles, and settle their little commonwealth, to prevent disputes and wranglings afterwards. So John Phillips was made captain, John Nutt, master or navigator of the vessel, James Sparks, gunner, Thomas Fern, carpenter, and William White was the only private man in the whole crew. When this was done, one of them read out the following articles, which we have taken verbatim, and all swore to him upon a hatchet for want of a Bible. The articles on board the Revenge. 1. Every man shall obey civil command. The captain shall have one full share and a half in all prizes. The master, carpenter, boatswain, and gunner, shall have one share and quarter. 2. If any man shall offer to run away, or keep any secret from the company, he shall be marooned, with one bottle of powder, one bottle of water, one small arm, and shot. 3. If any man shall steal anything in the company, or game, to the value of a piece of eight, he shall be marooned or shot. 4. If at any time we should meet another marooner, that is, pirate, that man shall sign his articles without the consent of our company, shall suffer such punishment as the captain and company shall think fit. 5. That man shall strike another, whilst these articles are in force, 
shall receive Moses' law, that is, forty stripes liking one, on the bare back. 6. That man that shall snap his arms, or smoke tobacco in the hold, without a cap to his pipe, or carry a candle lighted without a lanthorn, shall suffer the same punishment as in the former article. 7. That man that shall not keep his arms clean, fit for an engagement, or neglect his business, shall be cut off from his share, and suffer such other punishment as the captain and the company shall think fit. 8. If any man shall lose a joint in time of an engagement, shall have four hundred pieces of eight. If a limb, eight hundred. 9. If at any time you meet with a prudent woman, that man that offers to meddle with her without her consent shall suffer present death. Thus prepared, this bold crew set out, and before they left the banks they made prize of several small fishing vessels, out of which they got a few hands, some French and some English, and then sailed for the West Indies. In one of those vessels they took out one John Rose Archer, who, having been a pirate under the famous Blackbeard, immediately preferred over other people's heads to be quartermaster to the company, which sudden promotion so disgusted some of the older standards, especially Fern the carpenter, that it occasioned some mischief to follow, as we shall shew by and by. The pirates came off Barbados the beginning of October, and cruised there, and among other islands, above three months, without speaking with a vessel, so that they were almost starved for want of provisions, being reduced to a pound of meat a day between ten. At length they fell in with a Martiniso man, of twelve guns and thirty-five hands, far superior in force, and what they would not have ventured on at another time. But hunger will break down stone walls. They were resolved to shew the Frenchmen their black flag, and if that would not do, they must seek out elsewhere. Accordingly, they boldly ran up alongside of the sloop, with their piratical colors flying, and told them, if they did not strike immediately, they would give them no quarters, which so intimidated the Frenchmen that they never fired a gun. This proved a seasonable supply. They took her provisions, and four of her men, and let her go. They took presently after a sloop belonging to New York, and a Virginia man, Huffam Master. Having now occasion to clean their vessel, Phillips proposed Tobago, where the company he formerly belonged to, under Anstis and Fenn, broke up. To introduce them to it, he told them when he left the island, there was left behind six or eight of their company that were not willing to go to England, with three negroes. Whereupon they sailed to the island, and after a careful search, found only one of the negroes, whose name was Pedro, who informed Captain Phillips that those that were left behind were taken by a man-of-war's crew and hanged at Antigoa, among whom was Fenn, their captain. They took Pedro on board, and then fell to business, careening their vessel, and just as they had finished their work, a man-of-war's boat came into the harbour, the ship being cruising to leeward of the island. It was easily guessed upon what errand she was sent, and therefore they lost no time, but, as soon as the boat went away, warped out, and plied to windward for security, but left the four Frenchmen they took out of the Martinico sloop behind. In a few days they took a snow with a few hands, and Fern, the carpenter, one William Phelps, Wood, and Taylor, went aboard to take possession of her. Fern, not forgetting the affront of having Archer preferred before him, resolved to go off with the prize, and brought the rest into the same measures. However, Phillips, the captain, keeping a good lookout, perceived their design, and gave them chase 
who coming up with the vessel, a skirmish ensued, wherein Wood was killed and Taylor wounded in his leg, upon which the other two surrendered. There was no surgeon aboard, and therefore it was advised, upon a learned consultation, that Philip's leg should be cut off. But who should perform the operation was the dispute. At length the carpenter was appointed as the most proper man, upon which he fetched up the biggest saw, and taking the limb under his arm, fell to work, and separated it from the body of the patient, in as little time as he could have cut a deal-board in two. After that he heated his axe red-hot in the fire, and cauterized the wound, but not with so much art as he performed the other part, for he so burnt his flesh distant from the place of amputation that it had like to have mortified. However, nature performed a cure at last, without any other assistance. From Tobago they stood away to the northward, and took a Portuguese bound for Brazil, and two or three sloops from Jamaica, in one of which Fern the carpenter, endeavouring to go off, was killed by Phillips the captain, pursuant to their articles. Another had the same fate, some days after, for the like attempt. These severities made it dangerous for any to consult or project an escape, the terror of which made several sign their articles and set down quietly, waiting impatiently for redemption, which as yet they saw no great likelihood of, and, should they have been taken before such circumstances appeared in their actions or characters, as afterward happened, to denote their innocence, they might have lost their lives upon a trial at a court of admiralty, for pretty strong evidence is expected in their favour to balance that of being taken aboard a vessel which is proved to be an actual piracy, and they assisting therein. Thus was many an honest man's case made most desperate by the consummate villainy of a few hardened wretches who fear neither God nor devil, as this Phillips used often blasphemously to express himself. On the 25th of March, they took two ships from Virginia for London. John Phillips, the pirate captain's namesake, was master of one, and Captain Robert Mortimer, the other, a brisk young fellow, that deserved a better fate than he met with. Phillips the pirate stayed on board of Captain Mortimer's ship, while they transported the crew to the sloop, and the boat returning alongside, one of the pirates therein calls to Phillips, and tells him there was a mutiny aboard their vessel, Mortimer had two men in his ship, and the pirate captain had two, therefore thought it a good opportunity to recover his ship, and directly took up a handspike and struck Phillips over the head, giving him a dangerous wound, but not knocking him down. He recovered and wounded Mortimer with his sword, and the two pirates that were aboard coming in to Captain Phillips' assistance, Captain Mortimer was presently cut to pieces, while his own two men stood by and did nothing. This was the first voyage that Mortimer had the command of a vessel, by whose death is a poor disconsolate widow made miserable, more in regard of the mutual love and fidelity they lived in, than the loss of what would have been a handsome and comfortable provision for themselves and children, which, I think, now ought to be made up by the public, since twas in the public service he fell, for, had his attempt succeeded, in all probability he would not only have regained his own ship, but entirely subdued and destroyed the enemy, there being several, as it afterwards proved, that would have seconded such an enterprise whenever they found a beginning made. This affair ended without any other consequence than a strict search after a brother of Captain Mortimer, who was on board, in order to have him put likewise to death. But he had the good fortune to meet with a townsman among the crew, 
who hid him for four and twenty hours in a stay-sail till the heat of their fury was over and by that means happily missed of the fate designed him out of the other virginia man before spoken of they took one edward cheeseman a carpenter to supply the place of their late carpenter fern he was a modest sober young man very averse to their unlawful practice and a brave gallant fellow there was one john fillmore of ipswich formerly taken by them ordered to row cheeseman aboard of mortimer's ship which the pirates possessed themselves of who seeing with what reluctance and uneasiness cheeseman was brought away told him he would join with him in some measures to overthrow the piratical government telling him withal their present condition what difficulties phillips had met with to make up his company and how few voluntary pirates there were on board and the like but however specious this seemed cheeseman out of prudence rejected his offers of assistance till he saw some proofs of his sincerity which after a few days he was convinced of and then they often consulted but as the old pirates were always jealous of the newcomers and consequently observant of their behaviour this was done with the utmost caution chiefly when they were lying down together as though asleep and at other times when they were playing at cards both which they feigned often to do for that purpose the pirates went on all the while plundering and robbing several ships and vessels bending their course towards newfoundland where they designed to raise more men and do all the mischief they could on the banks and in the harbors newfoundland is an island on the north continent of america contained between the forty sixth and five thirty eighth of north latitude discovered first by saint sebastian cabot a d fourteen ninety seven but never settled till the year sixteen ten when mr guy of bristol revived the affair and obtained a patent and himself to be governor the island is deserted by the natives and neglected by us being desolate and woody and the coast and harbour only held for the conveniency of the cod fishery for which alone they were settled the bays and harbours about it are very numerous and convenient and being deeply indented makes it easy for any intelligence to pass from one harbour to another over land especially the principal st john's and placentia when the appearance of an enemy makes them apprehend danger they are able to cure and export about one hundred thousand quintals one hundred weight each of fish annually which returns to england in money or the necessary commodities of portugal spain and italy as it therefore expends abundance of rum molasses and sugar the product of our west india colonies and employs a number of fishermen from home every season by whose industry and labour only this fish is purchased it may very well be reckoned an advantageous branch of trade but the present design of this digression being not to give an exact description of the country or fishery but rather how it accidentally contributes to raise or support the pirates already raised i shall observe first that our west country fishing ships these from topsham barnstable and bristol who chiefly attend the fishing seasons transport over a considerable number of poor fellows every summer whom they engage at low wages and are by their terms to pay for passage back to england when the newfoundland ships left that country towards winter in the year seventeen twenty these passengers mustered eleven hundred who during the season of business the hardness of their labour and chillness of the nights pinching them very much are mostly fond of drinking blackstrap a strong liquor used there 
and made from rum, molasses, and chowder beer. By this the majority of them outrun the constable, and then are necessitated to come under hard articles of servitude for their maintenance in the winter, no ordinary charge indeed. When the barrenness of the country is considered, and the stock of provision laid in, happen to fall short, in proportion to the computation made of the people remaining there the winter, which are generally about seventeen or eighteen hundred, the masters residing there think advantages taken on their necessities, no more than a just and lawful gain, and either bind such for the next summer's service, or sell their provisions out to them at extravagant rates. Bread, from fifteen shillings to fifty, immediately at the departing of the ships, and so of other sorts of food in proportion. Wherefore, not being able to subsist themselves, or in any likely way of clearing the reckoning to the masters, they sometimes run away with shallops and boats, and begin on piratical exploits, as Phillips and his companions, whom we are now treating of, had done. And secondly, which is more opportunely for them, they are visited every summer, almost, by some set of pirates or other, already raised, who call here for the same purpose, if young beginners, and to lay in a store of water and provisions, which they find imported, much or little, by all the ships that use the trade. Towards this country Phillips was making his way, and took on the voyage, besides those above mentioned, one Salter, in a sloop off the Isle of Sables, which vessel they made use of themselves, and gave back Mortimer's ship to the mate and crew. That same day, viz. the 4th of April, took a schooner, one Chadwell, master, which they scuttled, in order to sink, but Captain Phillips, understanding that she belonged to Mr. Miners at Newfoundland, with whose vessel they first went off a pirating, a qualm of conscience came athwart his stomach, and he said to his companions, We have done him injury enough already, so ordered the vessel immediately to be repaired, and returned her to the master. That afternoon they chased another vessel, and at night came up with her, the master of which was a saint of New England, named Dependence Ellery, who, taking Phillips for a pirate, he told him was the reason that he gave him the trouble of chasing so long, which, being resented by these men of honour, they made poor Dependence dance about the deck till he was weary. Within few days several other vessels had the same misfortune. The master's names were as follows. Joshua Elwell, Samuel Elwell, Mr. Combs, Mr. Lansley, James Babston, Edward Freeman, Mr. Start, Obadiah Beale, Eric Erickson, and Benjamin Wheeler. The 14th of April they took a sloop belonging to Cape Anne, Andrew Herodine Master. They looked upon this vessel more fit for their purpose, and so came aboard, keeping only the master of her prisoner, and sending Herodine's crew away in Salter's vessel, which they till this time detained. To this Herodine, Cheeseman the carpenter broke his mind, and brought him into the confederacy to destroy the crew, which was put in execution four days afterwards. Herodine and the rest were for doing the business in the night, as believing they might be more opportunely surprised, for Newt, the master, being a fellow of great strength, and no less courage, it was thought dangerous to attack him without firearms. However, Cheeseman was resolute to have it performed by daylight, as the least liable to confusion, and as to the master, he offered to lay hands on him first. Upon this twas concluded, twelve at noon was the appointed time. 
In order for the business, Cheeseman leaves his working tools on the deck, as though he had been going to use them, and walked aft. But, perceiving some signs of timidity in Herodine, he comes back, fetches his brandy bottle, and gives him and the rest a dram. Then drank to Burl, the boatswain, and the master, to their next merry meeting, and up he puts the bottle. Then he takes a turn with Nut, asking what he thought of the weather, and such like. In the meanwhile, Filemore takes up the axe, and turns it round upon the point, as if at play. Then both he and Herodine wink at him, thereby letting him know they were ready. Upon which signal, he seizes Nut by the collar, with one hand between his legs, and tossed him over the side of the vessel. But he, holding by Cheeseman's sleeve, said, "'Lord, have mercy upon me! What are you going to do, Carpenter?' He told him it was an unnecessary question. "'For,' says he, "'Master, you are a dead man.' So strikes him over the arm. Nut looses his hold, tumbles into the sea, and never spoke more. By this time the boatswain was dead, for as soon as Filemore saw the master lay hold of, he raised up the axe, and divided his enemy's head in two. The noise brought the captain upon deck, whom Cheeseman saluted with the blow of a mallet, which broke his jawbone but did not knock him down. Herodine came in then with the carpenter's adze, but Sparks, the gunner, interposing between him and Captain Phillips, Cheeseman trips up his heels and flung him into the arms of Charles Ivy May, one of his consorts, who that instant discharged him into the sea, and at the same time Herodine compassed his business with the captain aforesaid. Cheeseman lost no time, but from the deck jumps into the hold, and was about to beat out the brains of Archer, the quartermaster, having struck him two or three blows with his blunt weapon the mallet, when Harry Giles, a young lad, came down after him, and desired his life might be spared as an evidence of their own innocence, that he, having all the spoil and plunder in his custody, it may appear that these tragic proceedings were not undertaken with any dishonest view of seizing or appropriating the effects to themselves, which prudent advice prevailed, and he and three more were made prisoners, and secured. The work being done, they went about ship, altered the course from Newfoundland to Boston, and arrived safe the third of May following, to the great joy of that province. On the twelfth of May, 1724, a special court of admiralty was held for the trial of these pirates, when John Fillmore, Edward Cheeseman, John Combs, Henry Giles, Charles Ivy May, John Bootman, and Henry Payne, the seven that confederated together for the pirates' destruction, were honorably acquitted, as also three Frenchmen, John Baptiste, Peter Taffery, and Isaac Lassen, and three Negroes, Pedro, Francisco, and Piero, and John Rose Archer, the quartermaster, William White, William Taylor, and William Phillips, were condemned. The two latter were reprieved for a year and a day, in order to be recommended, though I don't know for what, as objects of His Majesty's mercy. The two former were executed on the 2nd of June, and died very penitently, making the following declarations at the place of execution, with the assistance of two grave divines that attended them. The dying declarations of John Rose Archer and William White, on the day of their execution at Boston, June second, 1724, for the crimes of piracy. First, separately, of Archer. I greatly bewail my profanations of the Lord's day, and my disobedience to my parents. 
and my cursing and swearing, and my blaspheming the name of the glorious God, unto which I have added the sins of unchastity, and I have provoked the Holy One at length to leave me unto the crimes of piracy and robbery, wherein, at last, I have brought myself under the guilt of murder also. But one wickedness that has led me as much as any to all the rest has been my brutish drunkenness. By strong drink I have been heated and hardened into the crimes that are now more bitter than death unto me. I could wish that masters of vessels would not use their men with so much severity as many of them do, which exposes them to great temptations. And then of white. I am now with sorrow reaping the fruits of my disobedience to my parents, who used their endeavors to have me instructed in my Bible and my catechism, and the fruits of my neglecting the public worship of God and profaning the holy Sabbath, and of my blaspheming the name of God, my Maker. But my drunkenness has had a great hand in bringing my ruin upon me. I was drunk when I was enticed aboard the pirate. And now... For all the vile things I did aboard, I own the justice of God and man in what is done unto me. Of both together, we hope, we truly hate the sins, whereof we have the burthen lying so heavy upon our consciences. We warn all people, and particularly young people, against such sins as these. We wish all may take warning by us. We beg for pardon, for the sake of Christ our Saviour, and our hope is in him alone. Oh, that in his blood our scarlet and crimson guilt may all be washed away. We are sensible of an hard heart in us, full of wickedness, and we look upon God for his renewing grace upon us. We bless God for the space of repentance which he has given us, and that he has not cut us off in the midst and height of our wickedness. We are not without hope, that God has been savingly at work upon our souls. We are made sensible of our absolute need of the righteousness of Christ, that we may stand justified before God in that. We renounce all dependence on our own. We are humbly thankful to the ministers of Christ for the great pains they have taken for our good. The Lord reward their kindness. We don't despair of mercy, but hope through Christ that when we die we shall find mercy with God and be received into his kingdom. We wish others, and especially the seafaring, may get good by what they see this day befalling of us. Declared in the presence of J.W.D.M. End of chapter 15. Recording by Catherine. Hong Kong. March 2010.